we got one, two, three, go. And we're back. Another episode of Two, Two Fat Guys and a Microphone. I'm Bart Nichols. And I'm James Boyd. And we are, are back to talk about some things that are top of mind that are going on in the world of quarantine. 60 some odd days into shelter in place and uh, all these restrictions that we're, we're working through. Um, some of the key things in the news, Bart, and I think... You know, it's it's important for us to touch on this is that, again, an African-American man who is innocent, doing nothing but minding his own business and being lawfully allowed to be in a neighborhood was chased down and killed by a bunch of entitled white people. Yeah. I mean, this is just another signal of the changing alt-right in this country and the fact that they have a president now who doesn't do anything to stop them from behaving this way. Um, in, in my opinion, he encourages it. So they're basically going on their agenda of we only want white conservative Christians in this country and they have absolutely no regard for people of color. Yeah, it's, it's almost like nothing's changed since the end of the Civil War. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's still the Jim Crow south down there Um, instead of lynching people they shoot them well and it 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 spills over into the pandemic in that you know the poor in this country there are a lot of black people that are poor there are a lot of people of color that are poor are not getting adequate health care so when you look at the statistics of who's dying those are the people that are dying in here because the alt-right keeps pushing them down and not giving them access to health care, not giving them access to voting. That was clear in last year's, uh, or 2018's Georgia governor's race. They just basically said, no, you can't can't come in and vote or we'll change your voting station. Wisconsin's doing it um, with absentee ballots. And even the president now is saying that He's going to try and stop states that push a broader agenda of absentee balloting for the November election. Yeah, it's 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 you know 150 plus years of systemic oppression that has been repackaged. Instead of you know putting people on plantations and taking their livelihood by forcing them to work against their will, it's oppression through you know financial and economic means. You look at you know, the idea that a black man can't be jogging through a white neighborhood is asinine. And that, that, that idea permeates across all parts of this country. And when are we going to, you know, stand up and say enough is enough? You know, when are we going to say three months to arrest the guys that are on video shooting this young man is too fucking long? It is. Um, the video is extremely disturbing um it's clear he doesn't have a gun and you hear the shots getting fired and it's right after you see a truck that's basically chasing him down the road and two people jumping out and going after him so there's absolutely no regard for human life as long as it's a person of color and i think that is is indicative of kind of that old boys club of of police officers. Now, there's re- there's many, many good, honest police officers out there that serve and protect us every single day. But the the older gentleman who was arrested, I'm not even going to use his name because I don't think that we... No, fuck they, they him. Don't, they don't deserve yeah, that type him. of notoriety. But that asshole was a sheriff's deputy. So he was former law enforcement that just recently retired. And multiple times, he was cited and pulled from patrol duty and put on desk jobs because he didn't certify his firearms tests and he failed to take excessive use of force trainings multiple times while he was a sheriff's deputy. 
And he was protected by other old white men in Georgia who said that he was, he was acting in self-defense and that he was using citizens' arrest laws as loopholes to let the man walk away from killing someone. You have to, you have to break this cycle of bullshit when it comes to treating people fairly and equally. Yeah, the situation would be bad enough if you didn't have video because then you're like, okay, what the fuck happened? We didn't see it. But if they're using citizen's arrest, they didn't go up and try to detain him no. and get him on the ground. No, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. And immediately, within seconds of them accosting this man, the gun goes off. Yeah. But the problem's far more systemic in that yeah. it took three fucking months. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse is that it took three fucking months or was the, there was that third asshole that got arrested today and charged with murder, accessory to murder, because he was the one who videotaped it. Like, you, as a human being, you have a moral obligation to step in and be like, stop fucking shooting people that are innocent. But he wanted notoriety. He wanted to be viral on YouTube. He wanted to get his 15 minutes of digital fame. And he recorded the incident. He, he helped those two and enabled those two assholes to shoot an innocent man. You know, and I, I hate this shit because that was someone's brother, that was someone's son, that was someone's nephew, that was somebody who was 24 years old, had a life ahead of him, or he might have been 25. He had an entire life ahead of him that was taken because he was a black man jogging through a neighborhood because he liked to run. Yeah, and it's not like this shit hasn't been going on, like you said, for 150 fucking years. But the problem is, there's a man at the top who doesn't do anything to express outrage about it. For God's sake, George W. Bush would at least stand up there and go, this shit won't stand. And I'm not a huge George W. Bush fan, but the man would at least stand up there because he has honor and he has respect for the office, and he knows what it means to be a statesman outside of the presidency. Okay. You're the leader of our nation. You have to stand up and say something. Trump, not doing that. So by not doing that, it's as bad as if he were standing up doing, hey, do that some fucking more yeah, to those yeah. people. Yeah. Well, even this week, Trump, you know, Obama's come out and been critical of how the government, namely Trump, but the government has responded to... COVID-19 and, and, you know, being clear with communication and setting expectations and actually working through this, this whole pandemic, you know, in a way that makes everyone feel safe and secure. And Trump came back and, and basically clapped back at him and said that he was irrelevant and he was washed up and he was a nobody. And he was, you know, he, he totally discredited the guy who held the office prior to him. Like, it would be different if, like, Jimmy Carter was coming out. He's old, and he, you know, for all the good things he's done with Habitat for Humanity, he's 90-something years old. Like, he's not there. Well, and the petty bullshit of, I'm not going to hang your portrait in the White House. That's a tradition that's been going on for 40-plus years. And it's so typical of how he conducts himself and, and who he is as a person. That's what I don't understand. Take all politics aside, and if you judge him on who he is as a person, and you still support him, knowing that he's this yeah. despicable, rotten, nasty asshole, what does that say about you as a person? Yeah. Birds of a feather, man. They flock together. Absolutely. But the sad part is, is that I know a lot of people, as I'm sure you do, who are, are good people. And they support him, and they absolutely won't have a conversation with me about examining his character. Not his politics. But his character. Sure, everybody's entitled to their politics, but nobody's entitled to be an asshole in this world. And he just fans the fire with little comments, and now his seemingly, you know, blatant decision to... Just say, oh, fuck the body count. You know, this shit's over. It'll keep happening. But we're, you know, we're going to get back to the world here and get the economy going again. And it's just like, that's his plan. Yeah, yeah he, he's very good about, about making people, making important issues seem, you know, 
see that he minimizes them and sanitizes the truth of what ha- what's happening to where he can then be a bully again. You know, I, I think, you know, we have to, we have to, as a society, take a stand against any innocent person being killed, especially when we see this trend in the last 15 years. We, we have, we have heard about more African Americans being killed that were innocent than I can remember. And, and you, you think of Mike Brown, right? Yeah. Ferguson. You think of Chandra Bland. You think of Philandro Castillo. You Trayvon think of Martin. Trayvon Martin. You think of Eric Garner in New York. I mean, the dude was selling loose cigarettes for 25 cents a pop to people on the street. And the, the New York Police Department officer used in a chokehold, which was which was not allowed by their internal policy as far as how to restrain somebody, choked the dude out. He said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And they kept applying the chokehold. Granted, the dude was like 6'4 and like 340 pounds. He was a huge dude. But there are other ways to subdue a suspect that is that size. You don't have to put him in a chokehold and choke him to death. Literally choke them to death. You know, you Tamir Rice, 12-year-old kid, right? Had an airsoft gun. The, the officer didn't even stop to assess the situation, got out of his car, pulled onto the playground, got out of his car, shot him dead. Now, and those are just a handful of names. When you look at the list of people who were innocent, who have been shot by police officers or by just racist-ass white motherfuckers, it's a long list. It's, it's, it's absolutely abhorrent, and we cannot stand for it anymore. We need, we need people who aren't going to stand for it. And if Trump's reelected, this shit's going to get worse. Oh, absolutely. But this is only part of a, a complete system, this violence. They've been pushing people down, people of color, for decades yeah. with limited opportunities for education, Limited opportunities for jobs, so that translates into less money, which translates into their diet isn't as good as it should be because they can't afford it. And then they don't have health care, and then you disenfranchise them at the voters' box. Then you take the men out of the households, and you put them in jail for minor drug offenses. Yeah. You know, disproportionately, black men are affected and in jail by almost a three to one or four to one margin as opposed to white males. You know, they don't have SWAT teams kicking down doors in suburban white America. They have SWAT teams kicking down doors in inner city neighborhoods where they're primarily minorities living there. Latino, Latina, and African Americans living there. That's why when you when you have a, a racist police policy that only targets people of color, you're going to disproportionately affect those neighborhoods and they are going to be held in cycles of dependence and despondency toward the government. Now, there are people that need help with welfare and things like that. I get it. But statistically speaking, white people have more, are on a higher percentage of white people are on welfare than African-American or, or Latino families. So you, you have to look at what are we trying to do by enforcing these strict policies in African-American communities? What, what, what's, the, what's the end game other than to keep them oppressed? Yeah, and you're seeing the next chapter of this play out with the pandemic because now the president's going after states with Democratic governors and going to punish that state by withholding federal funds. And so it's now going beyond people of color, poor people. It's becoming anybody that's not like us is going to be punished and put down. And so we're right at the precipice, if he gets reelected, of full-on nationalism. Yeah. And shit's going to get bad. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the template for this was written in the 30s. And it was, you know, this guy in Germany and this guy in Italy and this guy in Japan that wrote the playbook for what you're seeing in this country. Do I think it will get that far? I hope not. But maybe, you know, we, we have to take a stand and we have to say enough is enough and this isn't how we are as people. And we have to we, we have to look to elect people who care about individuals, that want everyone to be safe, that really want everyone to have a fair shot regardless of where they're born. Because you can't control where you're born. You can't control whether or not your parents have money when you're born. Like, you come into this world and it's, it's a crapshoot of whether or not you're going to be affluent or not. We have to bridge the gap in a very 
mature and responsible way, but we have to start by taking a stand and saying we want to elect people who are going to respect the separation of powers in Washington and who aren't going to let the next president or any president thereafter be an emperor. Yeah, and the hard part about taking a stand is that for a lot of people, white people, they're not affected on a daily basis by the majority of the things that this president and this administration are doing. So take Christine and I, for example, we've talked about this before. We can't sit here and say we believe in the things we believe in and then walk past a Muslim person getting beat up. At a certain point in time, you're going to run across something and we've made the decision we're going to involve ourselves. But the problem is, is that that's going to upend everything. And then, you know, our life is upended. But you can't say you believe in something and not have the courage for your convictions. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's tough because you have to pick your battles. And you can't. I would love to say that I'm, I'm able to fight every fight that I see, but I can't. I've got a family. I've got a wife and kids and a mortgage. And I've got a responsibility to, to work and and. There are things that, that will be negatively and adversely impacted. I'm trying to try to find a diverse set of people that I have in my life and I interact with. Friends and, and family initially, mm-hmm. but outside of that, like my, I, I have seen her all just for my migraines. She's a Muslim woman. She dresses with a headscarf. She dresses in traditional um, Muslim attire. And she's an intelligent woman who knows her shit. And I respect her, not because of, of her freedom to choose what religion she practices, but because she's damn qualified to tell me what type of medication I should take to mitigate my migraines. You know, my knee doctor, he's um, not a white man. I've not really talked to him about his ethnicity, but he's his parents emigrated to the country. They came here. You know, he's first generation American. He's extremely smart and intelligent, and I trust him when it comes to telling me how to take care of my crappy knees. You know, trying to diversify the people I have in my life and I interact with to gain insight to their experiences and also to reassure myself that they're just people. You know, Holly and I were in Mexico last August and I had this revelation when I was there. We were eating breakfast in this little cafe and there was a a grandmother who picked up their grandchild and the child was crying and it was hot it was august in mexico you know no air conditioning and the grandma picked up the kid and just started rocking the kid and the kid quieted down and then went to sleep right there and that at that moment i realized that the only thing that separates us as humans is language and distance and the the more we try to break down those barriers and get to know other people and get to learn from their experiences and talk to them and see them as people first that's where we where we grow and that's where we see progress. Trump is taking the opposite approach. He's trying to isolate and divide the country by saying one group of people is superior to the other. He's trying to degrade the, the integrity of certain groups of humans to elevate those that he wants to vote for him. It, it's, it's racial warfare, it's class warfare, and he is playing out this playbook to a T. And we have to stand up and we have to say no more. And it starts when he, he, he mocks Obama in the same week that arrests are announced for three white guys who killed an innocent black man. And those combination of events and the reaction from our commander-in-chief is only going to make things worse. Yeah. People think it's tough to get involved. Um, it's not tough to get involved. Look around you and see... All the people that are marginalized. And if you feel like it's hard to go up to somebody like that, there's this thing called a smile. And smiles are universal. And I've seen it time and time again. You smile at somebody, they're going to smile back at you. It's to say, hey, how's it going? I'm not intimidated by you. And it's, it's going to be little things. I have a plan for election day. I'm taking the day off from work. I'm going to tell the Johnson County, Kansas Democratic Party, if you want me to drive anybody to the polls, I'm all day for you. It's little things like that. It's not jumping into the Democratic National Party. I mean, you can if you want to, Mm -hmm. but for the average American, just pick something locally. 
and jump in. Yeah, the, the biggest change happens in your own backyard. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's, you know, voting for the right city councilman, voting for the right, you know, school board members, voting sure. for the people locally that, that have the most immediate and direct impact on you. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's living your life and carrying yourself in a way that people know where you stand. And I think a lot of people, and myself included at times, shy away from really being vocal about where I stand because I fear backlash. And I'm not afraid of physical confrontation. But there's this, in the world we live in, I struggle with how do I voice my opinion and still be able to reach people who are willing to listen and then challenge me respectfully on what I say and what I think and how I feel. Because it's so easy for people to sit behind a keyboard and be a fucking bully and say all this mean and nasty shit and, you know, apply every, you know, logical fallacy in the world to discredit and take away from what you're actually saying. You know, I, I, I have respect for people that I disagree with who are willing to engage me in conversation. Absolutely. That's the thing right there. That's the big thing. They won't engage you in conversation most of the time. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a win-lose mindset that people come in. And, and even worse, sometimes it's a lose-lose. Like if you're going to tell me that my idea is bullshit, I'm going to make you look like a piece of shit. And so it's like, it's this whole, if I'm going down and taking you with me attitude and approach, and that's not going to help our society. Like, there are things that, that you ask me on, my, 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 my opinion is going to be fairly conservative about. Like, I think government should manage their checkbook like I manage it in my household. Well, my wife manages it, let's be real. <laughs> but the way that she and I agree that we should manage our finances. So I really think that we shouldn't, as a country, spend beyond our means. That doesn't mean we can't have good conversation about how to spend our money as a nation and the tax dollars that we all contribute. But let, let's make sure our... our our checkbook is, is tight. But on the flip side, I think, I think, you know, if you like, like Dr. Kevorkian in euthanasia, like if, if you were in that much pain at the end of your life, but you are still cognitively able to make a decision that you want to go out on your own terms and you don't want an aggressive form of pancreatic cancer to ravage your body for another nine months. Yep. And you'd rather just ride off into the sunset and go to sleep and never wake up again. You should have that fucking right. Yeah, I mean, you when my be able to say that. Yeah, when my mom had pancreatic cancer, she wrote it all the way to the end. But if she'd have told me a month after she found out, I don't have it in me to be in that much pain, and I want to end it, I'd have totally been supportive of that, because it's her choice, and she was in her right mind to make that choice. But this whole thing that we're talking about here, challenges on one side or the other, what I find frustrating is that I am perfectly willing to listen to somebody's opinion that's not my own. Mm -hmm. I've said as much on social media, and I've said to people, tell me what your plan is. If you don't like mine, tell me what your plan is. Typically what I get from the conservative side of the house is just more bashing. Mm -hmm. Why can't we start a conversation, kind of like what you and I learned when we went to the Kansas Leadership Center? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's find our commonalities first. If you haven't looked at this, people out there in the internet ether, check out the Kansas Leadership Center because they're on a mission to facilitate exactly what I'm talking about here. Getting people to sit down with different opinions and at least start the conversation by what do we agree on? Mm -hmm. Because then we can work off of that. Yeah. We're not going to agree on everything, but if we agree on things, certain things... Let's work to enhance those and see what the fuck happens. Yeah, I think there's too much of a focus on picking a side. Like, we don't need to label ourselves. Like, like we, there's this thing called the social identity theory. And it, it's a psychological phenomenon where people, in, in order to feel like they have, they can make sense of the world, they have to identify and belong to something. And that group that they identify with and that label they put on themselves helps them make sense of the world around them based off what other people are telling them is true and not true. And so when you, when you, if you can step away from that and say, I don't subscribe to anything and I'm open to talk about everything, then we will see this transformative change in our society. 
we are too afraid to say, I don't want your label, but I want to hear you out. Because if, if I don't say I'm a Democrat and I'm talking to a Democrat, if they're like, well, are you a Democrat or Republican? And I say, I'm not really either. Then they go into an offensive onslaught attack mode. But if I were to say, yeah, I'm a Democrat, then they'll be very agreeable to have a conversation. Yeah. But why do we have to have labels? Why do we have to pigeonhole ourselves into these fucking groups that really don't have any relevance or bearing on the quality of our life other than to pit us against each other when we talk about the issues that are most important? Yeah. And, you know, I personally have a belief that we should be working for the betterment of all mankind. Everybody should deserve a shot. The problem is, is that other people don't think that way. And so we can't sit down and have a conversation because... Only my group, my labeled group of whatever, conservatives, liberals, it's on both sides of the house. So it's not like because I'm a Democrat and I think a betterment of all mankind, I'm all that in a bag of chips. It's on both sides. Yeah. But it's exactly what we've been talking about. Why can't we sit the fuck down and start to talk about what we believe in and have commonalities in. I could, I would be happy to sit down with somebody from the Middle East who's a Muslim and talk about what's important to them. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you we're both going to agree on the fact that taking care of our children and making them safe and making them feel loved is a common thing that we have. Yeah. And we're also going to have things that we're not in common with. And that's when we can start to go, okay, we have these common things to work from. Now, tell me why you believe in this thing that I don't believe in so that I can at least see your side of things. Mm -hmm. I can't even get fucking people to talk about what the fuck they believe in <laughs> because every time I'm like, well, tell me what your plan is, they're all like, oh, no, your position sucks. And yeah, I think that's indicative of, of what most people fall into this trap of, you know, being able to easily identify what they don't want. Or what they don't like. But when you challenge somebody, it's okay, well, what, what do you think is going well? What do you mean? Nothing's going well. No, that's not true. You know, what do you like? I don't like anything. No, you like something. What do you like about the current situation that we're in? Let's, to your point, let's see if we can, let's see if we can find some common ground there. Um, but it's so polarizing and, and the, the environment has been pushed so far. It's this weird thing where, where you see one side, whether it's the radical right or the radical left. You, you see, when, when one side gains a little bit more traction, it's almost this, this cycle where they push other people to the other side. So, so whether it's the radical right with, you know, unlimited gun rights and militias and, you know, you know only go by the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and don't think outside that and it's not a living document, it's a static document and this is what it says, this is what it means. And those ideas that we have to have AR-15s to shoot down predator drones to fight back against a tyrannical government. And, and on the opposite side, everybody needs everything and there's a safe space everywhere and you should use all the right pronouns all the time with total disregard to what you actually truly feel and a conversation around why it matters and how you can be respectful of that person in other ways if maybe that's not really what you feel comfortable doing, right? The, the radical feminists on the left who are not about equality, they're about punishing men. I mean, you yeah. have to look at both sides, right? So every time the radicals on each side get more leverage and momentum and it, it shuts down conversation and the dialogue. And what I mean by that is when you talk to somebody who is on one of the fringes and you try to engage them in dialogue, they have this mentality of you're not like me and you're not, you don't agree with everything I agree with the way I agree with it. So you're an enemy and I'm, I'm going to shut you down. That pushes that other person away. And so what's the other place they go to is the opposite side. If you're a radical mm -hmm. right person and you're telling me that my, uh, my, my concern about gun violence in this country is unjustified and that the Second Amendment guarantees them to be able to carry AR-15s into a state house to protest shelter-in-place laws and not easing restrictions on economic activity during a global fucking pandemic and not get arrested... If you're, if that's your hardline approach and mine is different and you're like, you're an enemy, I'm not going to talk to you, fuck off. Where am I going to go? 
I'm going to go to the opposite side. Sure. And then that side gains a little momentum, and it's just back and forth. And every time that happens, the divide grows, and it gets larger and larger and larger. And what we're going to find in the next 10 or 15 years, if we don't wake up and we don't make an individual choice to do things different and to be a different and better version of ourselves, is we're going to have this chasm between both sides that's irreconcilable, and mm -hmm. it's going to push us to violence. It will. It will. And, you know... People throw the term around and it seems like it's melodramatic, but it's civil war. And we're on a path right now where you're going to push people to the point of waking up one morning and going, I have nothing to fucking lose by pointing a gun in somebody's face at this point. The Second Amendment people, guess what? The ones that don't like guns, if they get pushed far enough, they can buy all the fucking guns they want too. And then we're off to the races. And you're absolutely correct. It's on both sides. You know, you can't advocate for democratic socialism and then exclude the wealthy 1% because they have a bunch of money. It works. It's a two-way street and it works on, on both sides. You have to be able to come together figure out what we're in agreement on before this thing gets out of hand. And I can tell you that the tipping point for me will be if Trump is reelected uh, in November, because at that point, it's just going to be a referendum on do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. I thought about buying like a 30 day supply of free hugs, t-shirts and just walking around and giving free hugs out. That's so fucking funny. You said that like 10 years ago, I went with a group of people on the plaza in Kansas City and we had signs and we just stood out there for like two hours and they were free hug signs. And it was, I loved it because a lot of people engaged, but the amount of people that didn't engage and looked at me like, I don't want a fucking <laughs> hug from you. And I don't know if it's just me as me or if it was just a complete stranger offering a hug. I'm inclined to say it was fucking me because... Who wants a hug from an old fat ball guy? That guy's creepy. He doesn't have any hair. He's looking. He's winking at me. It's kind of weird. Let's walk away. Yeah, I, I think you know that there's ways that we can do it, but we we're we're not quite at that flashpoint where it's out of control. I mean, there's a point of no return, and I think this November the election is going to be huge. And you know, it's. It, it's just the it's the little things like treating everybody with dignity and respect. You know, when you see the the vast difference in how people are treated solely based off the color of their skin. You know, the white guys who had AR fifteens in the in the I think it was in Michigan in the in the state oh, house. Oh, the state house so fucked if up. If they were African American, they would have been oh. shot on sight. Oh no, or Muslim. Or Muslim, they would have been shot on sight and it would have been an act of terrorism and all of these things that these these narratives that have been built up in the media for the last 40 or 50 years about the the difference in in how people are and and the reasons why we kind of the latent reasons that are in our subconscious why we accept this behavior has been programmed into us our entire lives we have to break free of it if 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 you had 40 african-american men they are 15s on their back and they started walking up the capitol steps it would have been a fucking bloodbath yeah but they were not only did the white guys walk up the steps they walked into the, the state house and they were inches away from state troopers who were maintaining order screaming at them inches from their face. Yeah, with their fucking masks, their fucking on, masks too. on, So they're a bunch so, of hypocrites. Yeah. It's like, how can we, we cannot allow this shit to happen. If we really want to take the next step and evolve as a society in this country, we have to get past this petty bullshit that's dividing us. And, and we have to stop killing innocent African Americans in this country. I know. We have to stop breaking up their family units and sending the men to jail. You know, people who go into a prison, a federal prison like Leavenworth on a minor drug charge have a higher rate of recidivism when they come out mm -hmm. than people who are given probation or diversion. And those crimes they commit the second time around are much more drastic and dire. Yeah, it's because robbery, they, it's they murder, feel it's they feel rape. it's a necessity and they have nothing to lose at that point. And they're conditioned when they go into the big house 
by guys who've done a lot worse shit. You take somebody who gets busted with, you know, a quarter ounce of weed. That's seven fucking grams of weed. They're going to get busted. They get sent away to a federal prison, and then they're in there with guys who have killed people. Gang, like, hardcore gangbangers mm-hmm. who, at, at whim, will kill. If you look at them wrong, they'll kill. Those are the people that are then conditioning their psyche upon release. We don't have a rehabilitation process in this country. We just fucking lock people away and say, fuck you, figure it out when you get out. And that's a whole other conversation about the, the, the industrial prison complex that's in this country. Yeah. I mean, the more people that they have locked up, the more money they get. CCA, the Corrections Corporation of America, makes billions of dollars a year on low-level drug offenders that are put in high-security prisons. Mm-hmm. So any any attempt at, at at criminal justice reform that takes away from their earning potential is going to get negatively impacted at the polls. And when I say that, I mean think about their business model. They don't see people as people. They see people as items on a budget and a line item that helps them fatten their bank accounts. Yeah. So they're not seeing humans as humans. They're seeing them as an opportunity to make money. Well, two words: Slavery. for profit. Slavery, right? It's modern day fucking slavery because most of those people are African American or Latino. Mm-hmm. They're not, by and large, they're not white people. And they are forced into a situation that allows for a small group of white men to make a shitload of money at their expense and they get nothing in return. So instead of being out in the fields in the deep south, they're in prisons in South Dakota. Yeah. The part that's super frustrating for me right now with everything that's going on is that for me as a Democrat, I'm not asking for them to take the gloves off and be as shitty as the other side is. But for fuck's sake, if it's going to be Joe Biden, which I'm no fan of Joe Biden, but if it's going to be Joe Biden, then tell me what your fucking plan is. In the first hundred days, what are you going to do to undo the mess that we're in? Get your running mate and be out there right fucking now talking about it. Yeah, I think the sad part is Biden is, he's cut from the same cloth as Trump. The the difference is that he's a lifelong politician and his ultimate goal in life is to be the most powerful person in the world. Mm -hmm. His motives aren't to heal a fractured nation. His motives are simply to be able to say, I was president and I'm in the history books, and people will know my name forever. Well, it was the same way with Hillary Clinton, and she used all of her resources, including that piece of shit Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was heading up the DNC at that point in time, and they basically hatched a plan to knock Bernie out of the media. He was clearly the front runner at that point in time. He was clearly packing the house with people, and you couldn't see shit on CNN. Yeah. If if Bernie and Elizabeth Warren would have been on ticket in sixteen, they would be in they would be in office right now. Yeah, you know. And if 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 Joe Biden is smart, he picks Edub and puts Warren as his VP candidate. They will win. They would they would beat Trump and Pence. Because yeah, that's, because that's Amy Klobuchar force yeah. that they need to bring those moderates, those those independent minded voters who lean left on social issues and who are tired of Trump's bullshit. They'll get them and they'll win. Yeah, because Amy Klobuchar's... I I like her. She's wicked smart, but she's vanilla ice cream and we don't need vanilla ice cream. We need a full hot fudge sundae to attract... two cherries on top. With two cherries on top to attract the people that are like, yeah, Biden, a little better than Trump, but... You know, they're cut from the same cloth generationally, too. You know, Biden has all of these allegations throughout the years of, you know, inappropriate sexual contact with women. There's the 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 most recent allegation that is it's kind of resurfacing from one of his former Senate staffers when he was a senator. And the hypocrisy of of, of the left ignore and the and even the Me Too movement, because the Me Too movement was by and large a liberal based movement for equality among women and and being able to have women let their stories be heard when men inappropriately approach them for any type of of sexual contact or sexual favors whatever it is they're silent 
You know, when, so Brett Kavanaugh, whether you like him or, or not, whether you believe that he was innocent or you believe his accuser, that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. But, but keep in mind how he was treated and the forum that his accuser had to make her allegations known for the world to decide what happened. Yeah. And I'm not brought it out in front of, of a Senate yeah. grand jury and committee was on TV for days and days and days, you know, had to had to justify where he was 35 years ago. She her story was taken into question and it was this back and forth and it was a, a, a national event. Tara Reed, I believe is her name. It is. She is not being given that opportunity. If if the, the Democrats were serious about letting every woman be heard when these type of allegations are made, especially when it's against someone who's running for president, which is, in my opinion, a more important responsibility to flush out these allegations and see what's right or wrong, even more so important than a Supreme Court justice during their nomination, the the left should be out there with her right now. What's your story? What happened? What's your evidence? Tell us what. Tell us how many times it happened. Give us, give us the rundown. We want your story to be heard. And Joe Biden should be like, yeah, let's. If it's not true, he should be like, yeah, let's have it play out. Like, there's no reason that he should be downplaying it. And whoever he chooses to be a VP candidate, especially if it's a female VP candidate, is going to really have to ask themselves whether or not they want to talk about why we should look past these sexual discretions and these accusations of the, the presidential candidate and why we should ignore them when in the past, when it's a conservative that is being accused, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, that they are all out in force, national media, it's a spectacle, it's a fucking circus. Yeah, the hard part is that, well, let me state for the record, any violence against women, any sexual abuse women, it's it's the worst fucking thing in the world and you should be taken back out behind the woodshed. So the challenge is, is that you have a president right now that has lowered the bar so so much that it's normalized marginalizing a woman who brings allegations because Tara Reid and Christine Blasey Ford, the one that accused Brett Kavanaugh, they should be on equal footing. They should be on equal footing. Now, obviously Christine Blasey Ford's case was a little harder to make because of the amount of time. Um, But it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much time has gone by, what details are missing. You have to, as a rational human being, look at the person who's being accused and go, okay, what else do we need to know? But you're right. Biden's on such a power grab and the Democrats are so desperate to retake the White House that they're going to push it under the rug and it's really going to undermine whatever woman gets chosen to be vice president because she's also going to have to, in the back room, say, yep, I'm going to go along with this. And you talked about character and integrity earlier, and that's exactly what I call into question around Biden when he doesn't, when he tries to brush off these experiences. I mean, we've all seen the pictures of him with women and leaning in and sniffing their hair and putting his hand on their waist and pulling them close. It's like, dude, her husband's right there. Like, get your dirty ass old man hands off her waist. Yeah, it's not the first fucking time somebody said something about it. And say, thank you for your support. Right, you don't have to get that up close on women. You're 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 a creepo. You are a perv, and you probably at this point in time won't get my vote based off the fact that you're showing no character and no integrity in how you're handling the situation. I'm not voting for Trump, so if that means I vote for someone like Justin Amash, who is standing on principle in this election, he's like fuck the Republicans, fuck the Democrats. I'm going to be an independent. I'm calling myself a libertarian. And I'm going to challenge the the duopoly and the status quo in this country. Great. And when you look at what he believes, he wants good financial controls and he wants people to be able to live their lives. Like there is that balance of fiscal conservatism and social freedoms. 
that that he's advocating. He's just a quieter guy from Michigan who's very focused on upholding the Constitution. And that might actually sound really fucking radical in today's political landscape. Yeah. To find somebody who wants to be a statesman, who's going to make sure that we don't overspend as a country, that we put our money toward infrastructure and emergency services and a strong military and making sure that we can, you know, help people go to school, student loans, healthcare, etc. And he's going to let you do what you want in your bedroom. And he's going to let you marry who you want. He's going to let you have those social freedoms that people associate with a free society. And he wants to work within the confines of the Constitution and restore the legislature's opportunity to have checks and balances with the judiciary against the executive branch. That's a radical concept today because of the shit show that we've allowed to unfold over the last 25 years. Yeah, and it's a good, sound approach. The challenge is always going to be that it's politics. Yeah. And if you're not willing to you can take all that and get elected and get into office, you're still going to have to work with the other side. The challenge I have right now with the Democratic Party is that they're so fucking desperate to unseat Trump that they're going to look to the candidate that they think that could happen with. Because honestly, what you're talking about with Justin Amash, I see a lot of that in Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But you know what? They decided that Bernie Sanders wasn't going to be able to unseat Donald Trump. And so now, who's the other candidate? That Joe Biden. So, oh, well, we'll just kind of brush off this lady's allegations of sexual abuse. I had no idea until literally a fucking hour before we did this podcast. And I thought, you know what? I need to look on the computer and see a little bit about who this woman is and why she's bringing allegations. And the article was an opinion piece in the Washington Post. And what she's accusing him of is fucking horrible. Horrible. I'm talking about full-on sexual assault. Yeah, and, and, and you see even the, the, the media outlets that are tied to the left working proactively to quiet the story. CNN had a clip, an, an audio clip of her mother, or who's, who's alleged to be her mother, calling the Larry King Live show in the 90s, saying that these things were happening and that he was acting inappropriately towards staffers in his office as a senator. CNN had the audio. It took a third-party watchdog, and I think it was like The Guardian in the UK, who found it and then aired it and released it. CNN was sitting on it knowing that they had the audio that could corroborate parts of the story, and they stayed silent because Biden is their guy. Yeah. But, that's bullshit. But, but let's call it what it is. He's a fucking creeper. He is. Totally. It's a fucking creeper. I wouldn't so, you know, at this point, it's like, no. a, it's like a fucking cartoon show, and we've put Mr. Herbert, the pervert, as the fucking leader of the Democratic <laughs> Party. I know. Why don't you come sit on my lap? I got a popsicle for you in the basement. Let me hold your hand while we're in the voting booth. Tell me what you want for Christmas. <laughs> oh, holy shit, we're going off the rails, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but you should know this by now, if you've been following our podcast, that we'll go off the rails... At a certain point in time. I can't believe that the choices we have are Trump, a guy who is absolutely showing that he's xenophobic and racist and that he's a sexual predator. And Biden, who who is probably just as xenophobic. He's quiet about it. He's, he's probably not going to do anything to help minorities in this country and he's also a sexual predator that we have to vote for like of those two on paper biden is the less bad option there's still bad options why can't we figure out a way to let people who are eligible to run get the platform they need to have their voices be heard you know, the Green Party, Libertarian Party, the Constitutionalist Party. There's other parties out there, but the Commission of Presidential Debates, which is a Republican and Democratic-controlled organization that influences the media to include or exclude the candidates that they see fit, 
they're not going to put a third party on the stage with whomever is the, the nominee for the Democratic Party and Trump. Yeah. They're afraid. Ross Perot scared the shit out of the major parties in the 90s because had he not dropped out, he would have won. Yeah, and what people are missing, too, is that just by getting Trump out of office, you're not going to undo the last four years because the last four years has been the last hundred years. And it's only going to embolden those people to be more violent against African-Americans and people of color and buy more guns, go to state houses and protest with their weapons. Either way, whether you get Trump or Biden, I think we're headed for a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah, we need it's 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 the the millennials, Gen Z, that they're they are going to be left with this bag of rotting shit that we're giving them. Yeah, it's like we're out in the field and we're just shoveling cow shit into a burlap sack, and we're gonna let it sit out in the sun, and then we're gonna be like, "Here you go, here's our gift to you." Now, now clean it up. Yeah, and the sad the sad part is is that I worry that they're not gonna step up when the time comes. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they've never really had a whole lot of want in their life. When you look at the greatest generation, and let's let's shout out the greatest generation on Memorial Ge- Weekend here, they came right out of being in a Great Depression. They had nothing. nothing. And then they were still asked to step up, and as the saying goes, all gave some and some gave all. I worry that that's not going to happen when we get to the tipping point. Who's going to fucking step up? Yeah, I think what you see with the younger generation is a manifestation of their vision for the future with kind of these 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 ideas that everyone should be treated equally. They're, they are more vocal. They're probably just as vocal, if not more vocal, than the boomers were in the 60s about equal rights and things like that. They Most of them have known nothing but a lifetime of war. They don't know what a peaceful world is where we're not bombing the shit out of hospitals in the Middle East and schools that are harboring terrorists. And, you know, what? what's this arbitrary definition of a terrorist? Like, why are we fighting a war where there is no clear enemy and there is no clear definition of victory? Like, they're tired of it. They're, they're, they're rejecting this, this, this corporate idea of, of of this this kind of this it's not even a, it's more of a corporatocracy where government and big business are working and colluding well, sure. with each other to hold people down they see through the bullshit and that's why they talked about socialism that's why bernie's so popular with the younger generation oh. is because they're like you know what if it sounds like and and you know you can talk about marx and socialism and his ideas like there are critiques of capitalism that are valid right like there, there are things that are, are are wrong with a capitalist economy and people are exploited when the, the sole goal is to accumulate as much wealth and materialism as possible on the flip side every single type of 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 social construct leads to the consolidation of wealth and power in the hands of a few even if you were to start over and redistribute everything and everybody started with the same amount, over time, it would power would consolidate and wealth would consolidate and they typically coexist. Sure. Capitalism allows you to be yeah. free to do the things you want and seek those goals on your own. Marxism doesn't account for the fact that, that power will ultimately be constrained into the hands of a few, which means that wealth also does. And then those that are wealthy and powerful will subject others to oppressive means. That's not in his thing. But the idea that we should be fair in giving people opportunities, and that means guaranteeing health care. That means guaranteeing education. That means looking at a universal basic income, even if it's for your 20s, where when you're starting out in life, you get a, you get a UBI of, of $1,000 a month for 10 years. Like, that's, that's a good investment. If you, can, if you can know that you don't have to pay... You know, $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 to get your gallbladder removed if you don't have insurance. That you could know that you're going to go to school, get an education. You're going to be college educated, be educated for a specialized field in medicine or whatever it is and not have $150,000 or $200,000 in student loan debt. And you're going to get some starter money so you can start that business. That you can seek that path that you want. You can travel the world and get those experiences to be a well-traveled and cultured person. Like if those things are guaranteed to everybody... 
where would this society go from oh, here? It'd be an even more civilized society. The challenge right now is that people say, I want a civilized society, but I don't want to fucking pay for it. And there's that saying, taxes are the price we pay for civilized society. And my personal favorite is shit costs money. <laughs> On the flip side, let me challenge you here. We've spent $6 trillion or whatever it is in the Middle East in the last 20 years, 18 years. What could we have done with six trillion dollars on domestic infrastructure, paying oh. off student loans, guaranteeing that if you make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year as an individual, you have health care that's paid for? Yeah, but like, you've got you've got the military industrial complex arm in arm with corporate America. Yeah. So how's that gonna fucking go? You're absolutely correct. There's so much money pouring out of this country in the last forty years that could have been rechanneled in because you know we need a whole nother episode to talk about the infrastructure in this country yeah. and that if the infrastructure breaks down civilized society breaks down yeah, yeah and you're seeing it where we still have these these bridges that were built in the 70s yeah that are have been deemed structurally unsafe for the last decade oh and, and the money instead of being like okay i get it it's 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 a bridge in west virginia that like services 200 people a year, but it needs to be fixed because it's over a fucking river. Well, Let's fix it. Yeah, but the bridge in Minneapolis. The, if no, you I think that was that. a random event, you are out of your fucking mind yeah. because someday in the near future, there's going to be another bridge that crumbles. What happens if the electrical infrastructure in the country breaks down? It doesn't take much with everything that's going on that we've talked about and you pull out one aspect of infrastructure where people just become fucking animals. Oh, oh, and, fuck, you know, and, and the, the, the plastic t-ball bat I have upstairs isn't going to be enough of a home deterrent. I know. Doesn't that sound great, ladies and gentlemen? I'm protecting my home with a fucking plastic t-ball bat. You're right, though. Think about if, if, if a, a vast majority of the country goes to turn on their lights and they don't turn on. And they don't turn on for weeks. They don't think about this pandemic that we're going at shelter in place, stay at home orders, all that stuff we're going through. But you can't turn on your lights. Can't use your air conditioner. Can't turn on your heater, even though your heater might be gas. It's still powered by electricity to turn on the fan and all that sure. shit. If none of that works and you have 60, 70, 90 days. People will lose their fucking shit. And well, they will be, and, and they will and, be stealing, <laughs> looting. I mean, it'll be bad. Like it's it's the purge in real life. Oh, for sure. And and we've watered down the term shelter in place. People haven't been sheltering in place. No. People have been trying to keep away from other people. Yeah. If somebody came to you and said you cannot leave this fucking house for three weeks. That's going to be tough because most people who are already in food crisis, where are they going to get fucking food? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have the money to have a deep freezer stocked full of two grand worth of protein and rice and, you know, frozen pizzas and shit, you're fucked. Yeah. You're fucked. I mean, you know, we think about what we're going through and a lot of people are struggling. There's a lot of people who... Are grieving. There are people who are, are sliding into mild depressive states. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in there a couple weeks ago where I just had this funk where I just couldn't shake it. I had zero energy. I was apathetic. I was lethargic. I, I, I was able to be productive at work, but I was I was slightly depressed because of everything oh. that was going on. You know, you have people like that, and then you take away their opportunity to get food. You make sure that they don't have lights. You make sure that you know that they're not going to the hospital if they're sick. Because they're afraid that they can't pay to be seen if they have COVID-19. I mean, all of these things are, are real. But I think of, to your point, how we've watered down these terms and kind of sanitized the, the true definition and meaning of what those, those terms really intend and imply. Think about, I'm reading this book, it's The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. And it's, 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 it's going through basically the first year from when Churchill was elected prime minister and chosen mm -hmm. and nominated as prime minister. His first year in office through the Blitz. And that was really where, you know, he came into office. France was just about to secede and they signed an, uh, an agreement with 
Germany, not to fight against Germany, but they weren't going to fight with them. But they also basically said Hitler could have access to their tanks and their machinery and their navy if they needed them. And, and, and that was a big fear of annexing their, their military equipment. Anyway, this whole situation in, in the book, it, it also kind of 